Well, today's been a good day so far, hasn't it? Two people have been baptised. It was fantastic hearing Mark and Ollie's story there. Then having the privilege of watching them get baptised, making their public confession of faith. It's brilliant. I remember my baptism. Uh, I've got the date here. 16th of November 1997, when I made that profession of faith publicly. I still remember it. And we remember at that time Jesus' resurrection, because we've died to our old way of life. We've come back to life in him. The only reason we can do that, the only reason we can claim that, is because Jesus himself has already done it. He died and rose again. And that's particularly what we're going to remember this morning. We're in a part of our Easter series. We've had the first two parts um, I started a couple of weeks back, Melanie spoke last week, I'm doing it this week, and then Jeremy will f- finish us off next week. And we've used this whole idea of the reclaimed theme, how God is the one who comes and reclaims lives. He reclaims those who are lost, broken, hurt, dead in their sins. He brings them back to himself. And we've looked at that. We looked at rejection reclaimed on our first week. Last week we looked at De- uh, victory reclaimed, and this week we're going to look at death reclaimed. And I'm going to read a passage from the Bible. So if you've got your Bible with us, turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to read the first 10 verses. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to appear on the screen behind so you can follow along. We've been looking at the last couple of chapters of Matthew's gospel at this time, um, this Easter time, which tells that story. So let me read this to you. It says, Now after the Sabbath, Towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. All right, we're going to have a look at that today. Big idea of what we're going to look at today. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead means death is defeated and new life has begun. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead means death is defeated and new life has begun. So this passage, it comes right at the end of Matthew's account of Jesus' life and death. 28th chapter is the last chapter of his story about um, Jesus and it's basically this bit is the sequel to the crucifixion. The crucifixion's happened just previous chapter, and we went through that, what happened, Jesus being betrayed, then the trial, and then his death um, on the cross, and now we get to the resurrection. And the resurrection is the central event of the Christian faith. It's the essential event of the Bible. It's what everything has been building towards 
in the previous books, the Old Testament, and everything that comes after it looks back to it. It is a massive thing. The Apostle Paul says that without the resurrection, the cross means nothing. It has no power. Jesus would have just died. The resurrection is gives what gives the cross of Jesus its power. Because not only did he die, lots of people die. We're all going to die one day. That's just an inevitability. But Jesus did that and then came back. He rose from the dead. So this is huge to us as believers. If you're a visitor here and you're not a Christian, this is massive to what we believe. Jesus' resurrection from the dead is everything. Because without it, the Christian faith means nothing. The Apostle Paul says, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we as Christians should be pitied in all the world. Because we'd be deluded. But actually, we know Jesus rose bodily from the dead. And so we have this story here. And what we see is that these women, there are two of them. Mary Magdalene, you may not know that name, and the other Mary, they're going to the tomb. Now, these two have turned up in the story. They were there in the previous chapter. They saw the crucifixion. They witnessed what happened. They witnessed the horror of Jesus' death, his torture, and, and being humiliated for hours hanging on that cross. They watched him die. It says they followed and they saw him be put into a tomb. He was buried. He was wrapped up. He was buried. He was gone. It was over, dead, the end. That happened on the Friday. Then the next day was this Jewish holy day, the Sabbath, where they were to rest and not do anything, no work. And so when the Sabbath ended, it was, there, it was Sunday now, on, they were going back to the tomb, which they knew where it was. They were returning there. We find out in another gospel the purpose of their visit was to anoint Jesus' body, to prepare him for burial, to properly prepare for death. They hadn't had time, and they weren't allowed to do it on the Saturday. They had to, they had to wait. So they were going on the Sunday to go, let's get him ready to bury him properly, to say goodbye to him. It's all over. The one that we thought could have saved the world is now dead. How do you think they were feeling, these women, as they walked towards the tomb early in the morning? Hopeless, helpless, full of despair. I bet they hadn't slept a lick the night before. They, were just, they would have just been at the worst, the lowest ebb of humanity. They thought they'd put their hope. They thought this was the one, the God's promised Messiah. He had come, and we just saw it all go completely wrong. A week prior, he'd been welcomed into Jerusalem by crowds in their thousands, shouting, this is the one, this is the one, waving palm branches. Hosanna, they were singing. God's anointed has come. He's returned to his temple. God is here. Another week, he's dead. It's all over. And so they go to the tomb to kind of do their last sort of act of remembrance for him, last way to honor him. But instead of being hopeless and in despair, they become the first witnesses to the greatest truth in human history. Jesus Christ is rising from the dead. So they get to the tomb. And what happens? Well, it says there's an angel there. And it says that there was a great earthquake, a shaking of the ground. They must have been utterly terrifying. I've never been in an earthquake or even an earth tremor that I'm aware of, but I've heard reports of those who have lived through those things. And they, they describe the horror. Literally everything is shaking. The very ground, what you think is stable and solid, is shaking. The buildings shake. Things fall down. Everything is moving. And as they come to the tomb, they experience this earthquake. And the earthquake is linked to the arrival of an angel. 
an angel of the Lord who comes, who looks pretty terrifying by all accounts. It says he is shining like lightning. I don't know if you've seen lightning, fork lightning, the sheet lightning. There is a flash across the sky and you kind of take a, a step back and think, wow, what was that? Well, this must have been more a constant of that light because he was just there, it says. He was shining. He was brilliant to behold. He, he had something, the purity of God because he dwells in the presence of God. So this, this character has turned up and so not only were they... <laughs> were they in an ebb of despair, they were now terrified as well. So they were not having a good morning. Anyone had bad mornings? This one kind of goes beyond that. They would have just been like, not only are we like, oh no, Jesus is dead. They're now like, ah, who is that? What is that? The ground is shaking and this character has turned up and he's there. And it says the stone is rolled back. These stones that cover the tomb were huge. They weighed tons, big Things are rock that had to be rolled by many men into place to, to seal the tomb. This has just been moved. And it says, I love what it says the angel did. He, sat, he said he just sat down. He's like, yep, yeah, move the stone. It sat down like he was waiting for them. Can you imagine the angel shining bright? And it's like, <sighs> there's a guy waiting for women. I'm just going to make a point there. Just, uh, just saying that never happens. Just, just putting that in there. But he's obviously waiting for them. And what about the guards? There were Roman soldiers then, hardened, battle-hardened veterans. They might have been the ones who were on the crucifixion details. These guys knew how to fight. They would have faced barbarians and hordes. They would have put down uprisings in the area of the world they were. They knew how to fight. They were so afraid. What happens to them? They became like dead men. They felt they were just terrified that this angel had come. And they fell on the floor, paralyzed in fear, overcome of what's happened. So the angels turned up. The stone has been moved. The guards are now flat, who the women would have obviously had to negotiate with when they were there. And then the angel speaks to the women. What does he say? Unsurprisingly, he starts with the words, Do not be afraid. Because they clearly were his arrival would have caused the earthquake, the stone moving. He says, do not resist. But then he says to them, I know what you seek. He'd obviously had some knowledge, divine knowledge there. He says, you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's confirming something there. He's confirming what? Jesus is dead. Jesus was crucified. You don't live through crucifixion. Being nailed to a cross, hung there for hours, sometimes days, the accounts goes. You don't survive that. It is a death sentence. You witness the death of Jesus. He is dead, the angel is saying. But now he, then he goes on to say, he was dead, but it says he is not here for he has risen. He is alive. Jesus was truly dead. The Romans didn't get that wrong. He died on a cross, he says, but now the truth comes. He has risen. He is not here. He is no longer here. He is alive. The greatest news in the history of the world has been spoken by the angel to these two women who are just in despair and lost and terrified. And he's saying, no, he's alive. And then he says, and what? He says, just if you don't believe me, he's effectively saying, go look. Look in the tomb. And what will they find in the tomb? Nothing. He's not there. There's no body. He's gone. He says, look in the tomb. He's not there. If you're not sure, you don't believe me, I think if an angel turned up in that bright and said something, I just believe them. I just take it as given 
being as scared. But they were, people were saying, if you don't, go check the tomb. Look in there. And obviously, I imagine they stuck there. No, no body. He's not there. Then he gives them a command. He says, go quickly. Tell the disciples. Tell others. Pass this good news on. Don't just let it be for you. Go back and tell the other disciples who weren't there. They were probably still at home going through the same feelings that the women would have been going through. They were still there. They hadn't come up to do it. And so the women respond. They're going to go back and they're going to go and tell the disciples. And they leave. And now it says they had joy. Good news. They were still there. It says they were in fear or all that would have been because they would have just met an angel. There was that kind of wonder and worship that was going on in their lives. And they return. And then what happens as they go? They meet the risen Jesus. And I love the economy of words in Matthew. What does Jesus say? Basically, he says, hello. That's it. You know, he just appears. Greetings. But that, in essence, would have been, would have just, hi. They're going back. What's happened? We've met an angel. He's not there. He's alive. We've got to go and tell the other thing. We think we're mad. And suddenly, bang, Jesus is there. And it's like, hi. And they instantly recognize him. They instantly see Jesus' resurrection body is obviously recognizable to them. They know who it is. Their Lord and Savior is standing right in front of them. And what happens? It says they come, they take hold of his feet. He's real. He's not some phantom or spirit. You can grab him. They grabbed his feet. In other accounts, he talks about Jesus saying, Shane, look, here my hands. Look, there are holes in them from the nails. The scar on the side where the, the spear was plunged. You can see it. I bear those. So they see him and they worship him. He is alive and they love their savior. And he says, interestingly enough, again, do not be afraid. Because there's that, oh my goodness, you were dead, but now you're alive. Am I seeing a ghost? What's going on? No, I am alive. And he says, go tell my brothers, the other disciples. Go tell them to go to Galilee, which was a command Jesus had told them. If you go back a few chapters, he said, when I die and when I rise again, I will meet you in Galilee. They'd clearly forgotten about this in the horror of what happened. But he says, he's keeping his word and says, you will see me when I go to Galilee. All right, that's the passage. The, Jeremy will continue that on next week um, as we round out the series. What's this for us? I want three things I want us to look at today and apply to our lives as we round this out. What does the rec- resurrection of Jesus from the dead mean for us? First thing, the resurrection is based on evidence. The resurrection is based on evidence. First off, you have two witnesses. There were two women who went to the tomb and saw what happened. Now, if we go back culturally a couple of thousand years, at the time, the testimony of a woman, a female, in court would not hold up. It was not considered legally eligible. So if you're going to fabricate something, if you're going to make something up, you don't use women in your story. You just wouldn't. It's just not smart because their testimony wouldn't count. You'd use men and you'd use men who have high birth or have a kind of respectable job or a good standing in the community because their testimony would count. They would, they would be authoritative witnesses. You don't use two women, especially one like Mary Magdalene who's got a bit of a dodgy past, so to speak. But they are the witnesses. They saw it. If we read the other Gospels, we found out there were other witnesses. Jesus appeared to his disciples those who had followed him, who had been with him for years. We read in, in Luke and John, we read the famous story of poor Thomas, who missed the first meeting. I think he was out doing the shopping. And then he came back and said, I'm not gonna, I don't believe Jesus. No, he didn't rise to the dead. And the next day he appears. And then he gets stuck with his name, didn't he? Poor doubting Thomas. 
but he did believe. He no longer doubted. But they saw him. We go to the book of Corinthians and we find that Jesus appeared to 500 people at once. There was a bit like this, only bigger. He appeared and they all saw him and they all spoke to him. There were people who saw him. And when these documents were written, New Testament documents, the eyewitnesses were still alive. So if, people, if they wasn't true, they could be disputed. So there was eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. They actually saw him and they wrote it down within a lifetime to, for us to read. The second part of the evidence is the empty tomb. We look in the story. The angel said, go look. There's no body. The body has gone. Jesus has risen because we believe the New Testament teaches when Jesus rose, he rose bodily from death. He got a new resurrection body which looked something like his old body but was in some way completely different as well. It was imperishable, the Bible said. It was eternal now. No longer a human body which is frail and decaying and getting older. Since I, when, I planned, when we started leaving the church, my hair was brown. My boys keep telling me now, Daddy, you have silver hair. It is evident all around me. I'm just like, really? Do you have to keep pointing out? Yes, Daddy, you have silver hair. I'm like, I'm just, it, your, our body is failing. It's getting older. But the resurrection body is new. And there's an empty tomb. There's nothing there. Now, now some people might say, well, something else could have happened to the body. And you're like, okay, like what? Well, the disciples could have nicked it and hidden it to fabricate the story. And you're like... Okay, which means they must have come around from losing their leader and they had all scattered and run, the Bible says, and they're all in hiding because they thought that might, same might happen to them. They must then have found out where he got buried, overcome a detachment of Roman guards who were trained killers, trained soldiers, moved the tomb, stone, taken the body, hidden it, the guards didn't say anything, by the way. They might have said something, well, by the way, and then lived the rest of their life as if this lie was true. To the point where the, the, the early church accounts say that all the disciples were martyred for their faith and refused to deny that Jesus was Lord. That's unlikely. Maybe the authorities took the body because they're the ones who were the guards. They, they could have hid the body. But surely when Jesus' followers said, he's alive, he's alive, they could go, no. Da-da, he's not. Body. They never did. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. The other theory, which this is the one that makes me, I can't do it without smiling. Apparently Jesus didn't die on the cross because the Romans are inept and they can't kill people. He then went into a tomb with a two-ton stone out of it and in the coal of the tomb he revived. Took off strips of linen that had bound him tight Moved the stone, overpowered the guards, disappeared, never to be heard again. Yeah. There's an empty tomb. There's no body. What happens here? What about other evidence that just mounts up for the fact that Jesus rose from the dead? Well, we have the Old Testament, the original Jewish scriptures that were written hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus' birth. That point to one coming. Biblical scholars tell us that in Jesus' life, he fulfilled over 200 Old Testament prophecies, including where he was born, which you have no say over. And even on the day of his death, I think it's as many as 50 were fulfilled on the day of his death. How he died, where he died, things like his body, not being, no bones being broken, all this kind of thing, which was actually quite common in crucifixion. They snapped the legs, snapped the bones, so you suffocated, so you couldn't prop yourself up. 
all that stuff. So you've got Old Testament prophecies which point to the one coming, how he would die, who he was, how he'd ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, all these things, where he'd spend his childhood down in Egypt, everything. Here's another great one, evidence of the resurrection. Jesus' mother and brothers worshipped him as Lord. Yesterday, we had a little family day. Spent time with my mum and dad, my brother, his wife, sister-in-law, and um, their son were with us. And I remember knowing what was coming. I remember looking and thinking, there's no way on earth you'd ever worship me as Lord. It just wouldn't happen. I can imagine my brother looking at me like, no, no. Steve, I'm God. And he'd be like, no, you're not, and probably hit me. Do you know what I mean? That just, that just wouldn't happen. Jesus said, brothers, the, the, only, the, only, <laughs> the only answer that makes sense is that he really was who we said he was. What about the change of day of worship? For hundreds and hundreds of years, maybe thousands of years, there was a Jewish day of worship, which was the Sabbath, Saturday. Jesus rises from the dead on Sunday, and overnight, devout Jews suddenly change their day of worship. Do you know any institution in the world that would change the tradition overnight, historically speaking? No, they wouldn't, unless it was true. What about the death of all the disciples who died in utterly horrific ways? They were murdered, martyred for their faith, saying Jesus rose from the dead. And it's like, if you don't deny faith, we'll boil you alive, we'll crucify you upside down, we will do horrific things to you. They didn't. They all died for their faith. What, is the account, um, what um, explains the growth of the early church? The church began about 120 people in an upper room, it says, in the book of Acts, who'd seen Jesus Christ alive. The Holy Spirit fell on them. And these guys were the lower rungs of society. They weren't the highborn. They didn't have power or influence. And yet within a couple of hundred years, it dominated the entire known world, the Roman Empire, to the point where an emperor converted to Christianity. And it has grown to the point where there are over a billion Christians in the world today, praising God today, now, celebrating his resurrection. How on earth do you explain that? And lastly, what about the existence of the Bible? If you've got a Bible in your hand, look at it. Or you've got it on your phone. You're one of those people. You know, you've, got it on a, you've got it on a phone. How do we explain the existence of the Bible? It underwent the most systematic eradication attempt of any document in the history of the world. And that was when the documents were handwritten on scrolls. And if you had one, you were just killed. They were burnt, and yet... It survived, and we have. It is the most reliable uh, historical document ever because of the sheer volume that we have of New Testament documents. If you do the Alpha course, I think it's the second part. They look at the evidence versus, I did ancient history A-level, so I had to read Herodotus and Caesar and uh, Thucydides and people like that. And the evidence for the New Testament documents outweighs them by a hundredfold, yet they're considered reliable. So we have the Bible. What does this mean for us today? What it means, if you're a believer here, We don't have a faith based on wishful thinking. We don't have a faith based on nice stories to tell our kids or to keep us warm when things are going wrong. We have a faith rooted in history. We have a faith rooted in tangible evidence that stands up to critique. 2,000 years on, it still stands up. There are highly intelligent men and women who profess faith in Christ and have examined the evidence. Oli testified it. Yes, it's true. He is alive. There is no other alternative. So in the face of cultural change, trends, things happening, things moving around us, we know we can stand on something that is solid and that will last forever. Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. It is a truth that has spanned the ages and will expand the eons beyond this life. 
and when this world is wrapped up and passed away. And we know what we have can be trusted. So I don't know what you're facing in life right now, what the world is throwing at you, what life is throwing at you, what you're struggling with, and you know, in terms of work and family and health and the life. But your faith is based in something that happened. Jesus Christ lived died, rose again, and now rules and reigns victorious forever, and that will always be the case. And you have nothing to fear in this world because of that. Next one, number two. The resurrection requires a response. If Jesus did rise from the dead, then what he said matters. Because if he did rise from the dead, that means what he said came to pass. He said he was going to die. He said he was going to rise from the dead. It all matters. And the evidence now demands a verdict. You have to respond. In fact, not responding isn't an option. Not responding is actually a response in one sense. You're denying it by not responding. It demands something. And from the women... In the story, if we go back to the story, they, they responded to what they'd heard and seen. The angel came a message, he's alive. They looked at the evidence, there's no tomb there. They then met Jesus for themselves. And it says there were three things. The first one was joy. That was one of their kind of responses. Jesus is alive. That is good news. The word that you hear in church, gospel, it literally means good news. This is great news. Jesus is alive. Because he's alive, we too can live. We can be forgiven for our sin, all the things that we've done. That's why he died on the cross. We can be free from the things in life that hold us. We can have a future that is secure in him. And so it brings joy to their lives. And it says they had great joy. The second thing it says was they had fear or awe or wonder, worship at what happened. They couldn't believe it. This man who claimed to be God died, rose again. It produced wonder and worship. This is what we did at the beginning of the meeting where we sang our praises to Jesus. You are amazing. You are risen. You are alive. You are the one true king over everything. And it produced this awe and worship in them. And the last thing they did is they were obedient. What did the angels do? Say, he said, go tell the disciples. What did they do? Go and tell the disciples. They responded in obedience to the command. And Jesus reiterated that when he met them. He said, go tell them. And they were like, okay, we'll go tell them. They responded in obedience, which for us, that sums up the Christian life. Those three things. We're to have joy. Not a silly saccharine happiness. <laughs> everything's great. Everything's fine. You know, which is our standard, very British response. You know, no, we have a joy that wells up from deep. Even in the most horrific circumstances, even in the face of overwhelming pressure in life, we can have a joy knowing that we have a relationship with our Father in heaven through Christ. That we have the Holy Spirit in us. That we, that we have an eternity that is secure. That we are not going to be pushed beyond anything we can bear. Because Jesus said, I will be with you. I will give you the peace you need to endure the storms. I will stand by you when you go through difficult times. I will always be with you. And we can have a huge joy in that. We're to worship Jesus because he has saved us. We're to live in fear and awe of this humongous God who created heaven and earth. And saved us. 
And so we live lives of worship. We worship together as a gathered body. We worship together as small groups that we meet during the week. We worship together in our individual lives. We do those things because we are the saved, the redeemed people of God. And we are to be obedient. We are to get baptized, as we've seen here today, because we're responding to what God has asked us to do. Because he's the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he gets to call the shots. And the great news is he loves us and he's for us, and it's always for our good and his glory that he tells us to do these things. So what about us here today? Are you full of joy in God? Are you living lives of praise and worship to him? Are you being full of the Spirit? I know for me, being a confession, I'm, I'm British to the point of annoyance in the sense that I am, I'm cynical sometimes. And I can, my tendency is towards cynicism, my tendency towards kind of, hmm, really? Uh, and so being a joyful person doesn't necessarily come naturally um, to me. Why are you laughing? Sorry, my wife down here. We have a little moment. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just being vulnerable here for you guys. So for me to, to be a thankful person, I have to help myself. I have to focus my mind. I have to train my mind that I, I, I want to seek good. I want to seek the positive. So I know for me, when I write in my journal every day, after I've read my Bible, I always make a point of starting, what am I thankful for today? What am I thankful for today? What can I give thanks to God for today? My family, my life, things have gone on, answered prayers, moments happened, stories I've heard, anything that I can thank God for, I make a habit of it. I ask God to fill me with his spirit because the fruit of the spirit we've been teaching the kids is love, joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, generous, faith and self-control. But joy's in there. So we pray, we fill of the spirit so we can be joyful people. Worship. We need to be people who are worshipping when we come, make a priority of the gathered meeting of the church so we can worship together. It transforms you. It changes you as we put our eyes on Jesus and look at him. The things of this world get put in perspective. We realize what's important and what's not. He is, and a lot of other things aren't as important as we think they are. We recommended a CD, um, Matt and Phil set up here, um, that we've put out on the email, the Ren Collective one, the good news ones. There's some cracking songs on there that we have in the car. The kids have already got their favorite. Can we have number nine? Can we have number seven? I quite like number eight, but we don't get to play number eight. But anyway, we put them on and we sing the songs. There's one about Resurrection Day. And actually, this is our Resurrection Day. And we sing and we worship together. What about obedience? Are you doing what God's asked you to do? Are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? Have you been baptized if you need to be baptized? How are you serving God with your money and your life? What are your attitudes towards your home? And just as a final thing on this point, it's interesting what happened when the women were obedient. Do you notice in the story what, they, what happened, the order it went? The angels said, go do something, and they were obedient. Then what happened? They met Jesus. I think there's something for us to learn. As we're obedient, as we follow God, there's a sense of then they met the risen Jesus. I believe for the guys who stood up here today and were obedient to Christ, there's a sense of actually out of that, God blesses obedience by his presence with us. Last one. And then we'll end. This one's to finish. The resurrection changes everything. Absolutely everything. The fact Jesus rose from the dead means everything in life is now changed. Our lives are changed. If you're a believer, your future is changed. The total trajectory sorry, of your life is changed. The world runs around trying to 
put everything they can into the here and now. What's the best home we can have, best car we have, best holidays we have, what can we do with our kids, let's, just, let's consume, let's have all our focus on now, 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 with no thought to what comes then, then, then. The future, we live different lives. We live our lives. <laughs> Sorry. I love it that it's not mine. I love it. We love kids here and we love them free range. So, Abe, have fun. Um, where was I? Living life looking for the future. We don't live for now. We have a lot, our eyes on the future, which puts in perspective the here and now. There are many good things in life. God created them. Money is good. Um, family is good. Uh, marriage is good. Kids are good. Work's good. It's all good, but we don't want to make them God. God's God, and none of those things should take his place. And we put them in his right place, and we keep everything in perspective. And we use everything God's given us to honor and glorify him today. And I just, Mark, is Mark and Ollie back in here? Where's Wally? There at the back. I just felt for you guys though. Sorry, as I was preparing this, do you know what day it is today? And we've got 30 seconds left of it. April Fool's Day, right? I, no, I'm not going to play a trick on you. Sorry, no, 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 no I'm not going to do that. But I just felt for you guys that what, you made a decision today of obedience that the world would call foolish. It was, what are you doing? You know, the, the, Jesus didn't rise from the dead. It's not important. It doesn't mean anything. All you did was get wet. You do that in the bath. And it wasn't even that warm. And there's a whole bunch of people watching, which is just weird when you think about it. It's a, it's a decision the world thinks is foolish. And I just feel that God would say to you, he honors that. He honors that. You got, you got baptized on April Fool's Day, but actually you did it in obedience to God. You did it for God. And I'm, I felt God say to you guys, be prepared to make decisions that the world thinks are foolish, but God says is wise. And God says he's good. And you're going to spend the rest of your life doing that, making decisions that honor him first and not the world. And the world will look at you and say, why are you doing that with your money? Why do you give your money away? Because actually it's yours. You earned it. Why do you live that life? Why do you say no to that and yes to that? Why do you structure your life in this way and not that way? And you'll say, it's because that's, why, that's what God's asked me to do. That's what Jesus has commanded me to do. That's what it says in his word. And actually the world is going to say, that's foolish. And you're going to get pressure from people, even friends and family, say, that's just dumb. What are you doing with your lives? And actually God says, get ready for that. Because you got baptized on April Fool's Day, you're going to be making foolish decisions in the eyes of the world. But in the eyes of God, they're going to be the good and right and proper ones that will bear fruit in this life and in the life to come. Because what the Bible actually says is, who's the fool? The one who says in their heart, there is no God. All right, time is running out. Let me just try and finish this up for us. Let's leave that. Can we have the band back up here for me? Do you guys want to stand? That's a good place to finish. Maybe you just want to close your eyes. I'm just going to pray for us here. And then we're going to sing and worship Jesus. If you're not a believer here today, maybe you're a guest, you're a friend, maybe you came to church just because you kind of got dragged, it's Easter, or some friends invite you, we love having you here, we're thrilled uh, for it. But I just want to challenge you with the truth that Jesus rose from the dead, and actually what does that mean for you? Because I think it's the biggest decision you will ever make in your life, how you respond to that question. I believe he did rise from the dead, I believe he is alive right now, and forevermore, and how you react to him will dictate not only this life now but your eternity and I believe the good news for you is that Jesus wants to get to know you he loves you he is for you he died on that cross so that could happen 
And if you want to talk today about what that means, we'd love to talk to you. There are people in here who'd love to talk to you then to make that commitment to say, follow Jesus, to turn away from your own life and live for him for the rest of your lives. And we're happy to talk with you, get involved in that. If you are a believer here, I want to just challenge you in your life today. Jesus rose from the dead. What does that mean for you? For right now, I want us to worship and praise God. But actually, as we leave this place, which we spend only a tiny bit of our week in, what does it mean for you outside this place? Are there things in your life that God has spoken to you about that you need to do that you haven't done? You're like the women at the tomb who looked in, saw it was empty, and just stood there. And the angel says, go. Go tell, this. Go tell them that what's happening. And you're still standing. And the angel's words are just hanging in the air. Jesus' words hang in the air. Go tell the disciples to go to Galilee. And if they're those things, I want you to make a confession in your heart now. Repent and say sorry to God for whatever they are. And make a confession and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something about that. It could be in the area of money. It could be in the area of baptism. It could be in the area of your sexual life. It could be in the area of your work life, your home life, marriage, your kids. I don't know what it is. But if there's something there, I want you to, I want you to make that commitment now. If you know that you, you've, the joy of the Lord is not your strength at the moment, you know that you've kind of been down, cast your eyes, be down. I want to just pray that the Spirit of God would fill us to worship now, that you would lift your eyes on this resurrection day and put them on him. And let him minister to you, let him speak to you. So Holy Spirit of God, I pray you come, you fill your people now. You fill us, Lord, that we may worship you, that we may love you. God, we are eternally thankful for how you transformed our lives. When we were dead, when we were lost, you came, you saved us, you transformed us. And we are now raised out of that water of baptism to new life in you. And Lord God, we praise you and we thank you and we love you. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.